Welcome to Cows on the Planet Season 2, podcast number 17. This series of podcasts will be exploring the science of beef production, beef, and impacts of cattle on the environment. My name is Kim Stanford, and I'm from the University of Lethbridge. I've always thought that cattle were getting a bit too much of the blame for methane, as no one ever tried to monitor my methane emissions after several helpings of baked beans. Rumors of a fart tax being instituted in New Zealand started almost 20 years ago. The fart tax never materialized, but recently New Zealand is back in the news with the possibility of the introduction of a burp tax. The press does seem to be more accurate in this coverage as most of the methane from cattle does come from burps, not farts. My co-host is Dr. Tim McAllister, a principal scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, also in Lethbridge. Our topic today is New Zealand's strategy to obtain net zero emissions for all GHG other than biogenic methane by 2050. We've heard a lot about strategies to reduce methane in ruminants and understand that New Zealand has been leading the charge in this sector for a number of years. Is there any gaseous illumination, which is similar to a neon light, in particular that you are looking forward to, Tim, in our discussions today? Yeah, Kim. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing what Mark has to say. I know New Zealand has been leading the charge in this area. You know, they've probably been working on it for well over 20 years. uh, And they do have a very large dairy industry that exports milk and milk products around the world. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think they also have a little bit of a different demographic and that there's a lot more cows than people in New Zealand as well. So it'll be interesting to see what Mark has to say. So to answer these questions, our guest today is Mr. Mark Aspen, who is the manager of the Pastoral Greenhouse Gas Consortium, better known as PGGRC in New Zealand. Welcome to Cows on the Planet, Mark. Kora, thank you. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Looking forward to having a chat about what's happening up in Canada as well. So yeah, happy to (laughs) contribute. Hopefully we won't get into fracking, but we won't go there too early in the place. (laughs) So in case any of our listeners are waiting in the wings, Mark, for a job similar to yours, can you describe the career path you followed that resulted in you ending up as the manager of the PGGRC and maybe tell us a little bit about the role of the consortium in New Zealand greenhouse gas research? Yeah, sure. I suppose career path, I have to take back. I suppose I was born on a dairy farm near Auckland on the Manukau Peninsula. I did a ag science degree at Massey and I farmed looking after sheep and beef farms for about nine years. Some of those were university farms. Before I came to, we transferred to Wellington and I started looking after on-farm research for the meat and wool Oh, Meet New Zealand, it was in those days. It's had a few name changes, but that's the levy-paying organisation that receives levies from sheep and beef farmers in New Zealand. And I'm not sure what the Canadian equivalent would be, if there is such a thing. Yes, there is. Yep. And so I've kind of had a lot of on-farm R&D background, but then in 2004, I took up the role of looking after, as we were facing Kyoto, and we entered in the pastoral sector, so the dairy, the sheep and beef, deer industry, fertilizer industries as well and a PDG Wrightsons who are a rural servicing company in New Zealand went into this consortium to find ways to reduce methane and nitrous oxide and I was the manager from 2004 on so we've been on the job like you say Tim for getting up towards 20 years and finding ways to reduce methane and nitrous oxide 
And the consortium was set up by the industry to invest in fine methane and nitrous oxide production. And the deal we did with the government at the time, and you referred to, the acronym was Farmers Against Ridiculous Taxes, rather than the fart, but yeah, entirely, <laughs> enti- entirely coincidental, I'm sure. Well, we haven't found one for burp yet, but like, um, we entered into Kyoto, and the deal was done with, between the thing was that while New Zealand industry was not investing in research to reduce its emissions, we wouldn't face a cost on our emissions. And that's been in place since then. And because we've been making investments up to last year, about $90 million has been directed by the Partial Greenhouse Gas Research Consortium towards reducing greenhouse gas emissions on methane and nitrous oxide. We don't do too much in the soil carbon space. That's covered off by our government partners. But the arrangement that's in place is that there was a one for one. So that every dollar the industry put up, it was matched. And so that we've doubled our money. And it has been a pastoral sector, not just sheep and beef or dry stock. So the dairy industry is all amongst it as well. So all the major players in the industry have been involved. And working with the Ag Research team mainly, who are world-renowned in many of the fields for this space, it's been an exciting ride. So, Mark, there's no doubt that New Zealand has gotten global attention for its efforts to lower methane emissions in cattle. Why are methane emissions from cattle such an important part of New Zealand's plan to meet its climate change targets? Well, we're pretty unique. Well, we are unique in the bottom of the South Pacific, but we're unique in greenhouse gas terms because as a developed nation, agriculture accounts for 50% of our total greenhouse gas emissions as a country. Even though we're only 0.17% of the total emissions in the globe, as estimated into the UN, so we have a 50% big ticket item sitting on our national books in terms of emissions. And in the sense of agriculture and the split cattle, the methane is about a 50-50 between the dairy industry being 50% of that and sheep and beef being the other 50%. The beef part of that is about 13%. So I suppose if you're going cattle, that's what 63% is from our methane emissions are from cattle and 37% is from our sheep industry, which is still a major part of our landscape here in New Zealand. So that's the reason it's the numbers at the accounting end that's brought it to our attention. But as we probably will touch on, we're pretty interested in doing what we can about warming. And so that's a slightly different complexion, but like we'll get to that, I'm sure. So then, are you working on a number of solutions to reduce methane emissions? And how does the proposed BERT tax we've heard about fit into that plan? Or is it being implemented or is it just being considered now? Or what is the status of where things are at? Right. Well, we will face a price for agricultural emissions in 2025. It's on the books and we have a Zero Carbon Act. And as you noted in your intro, we are looking to be carbon neutral by 2050, have CO2 and nitrous oxide emissions net zero and methane severely reduced by 2050. So that's going to happen. What we've been doing is investing in any ways. Because we represent and we've got an agricultural industry that's extensive and diverse, fed grass mainly. So we've got dairy farmers who see their cows twice a day and milk cows and do things like that, which happens around the globe. We've got sheep and beef farmers that may range from seeing their sheep and cattle daily out to weeks or months before they see them and across extensive hill country and flatland across New Zealand. So we've been looking at different approaches to really understand what we could do to reduce methane. So 
our kind of four areas that we've been active in is understanding whether there was variation that's genetically based and whether we can select for animals based on that genetic variation and we've been successful in the sheep industry in that. We've also been looking at our animals, as I say, we're about 85% of the diets or 90% really of um, our diets is grass and so it's grass fed, pasture fed all year round. We don't go inside um, very often in New Zealand with our animals so we've been trying to find different feeds. We have some forage crops that have shown up as being lower in methane when they're fed directly but there are some challenges for us to get that into our farm systems. Um, the other two direct methane active areas we've been involved in is the development of a vaccine, a methane vaccine, where the host immune system can actually come up antibodies to block it. That's a pretty much leading program for us. And also looking for inhibitors, feed additives, likes of the seaweed or the bovia that's coming into the total mixed ration kind of world. For us, we've got to find compounds that are potent enough that we can deliver them to a grazing animal. Critical things here is like, I know Tim, I'm telling you, not necessarily to suck eggs, but like 85% of the methane emissions is driven by the amount of feed eaten. And really, if you're going to add an additive or a vaccine or genetics, it's got to be on site at the fermentation in the gut every day, 24-7, if you're ever going to get to potential. And so... Those things are kind of, uh, certainly the second part of it is a real critical part for a feed additive or some whatever mitigation we go, it's got to be doing the thing in the room and when the methane's formed to block it. So, I mean, those are the challenges that underpin all the work we do here and why it's biologically pretty challenging. But those are the main areas. We started off in 2003 with a whole lot of ideas sitting on shelves that said, oh, no, just a little bit of work, two or three years' work, and we'll just fine-tune these and they'll be in farmers' hands. And here we are, 17 years later, we've proven genetics is can be selected for. We do have feed additives that have worked in a slow release. We're optimistic, but we still have trying to finish off the vaccine and make sure it can work. So lots of work's been going on here. So probably we should get this out in the open, Mark, but... How expensive is the burp tax proposed? Like, what is the proposal? How much is it going to cost farmers? Because we have something similar in Canada known as the beef checkoff that's around five bucks a head every time cattle are sold. But just trying to get it in, like place the burp tax in relation to what farmers here are used to. Right. So, I mean, it's been talked about as, this might just be language, but it's been talked about as a levy. So the idea, we beef farmers, cattle farmers now pay a levy when they slaughter an animal and I should have written down this number, I think it's $4.50 per head that's paid for the activities of Beef and Lamb New Zealand. So that's what comes in to fund R&D, fund trade access, fund all of the kind of what we term industry good. The emissions tax that's being proposed, at the moment it's sitting at $0.05, cents, I think, a kilogram of methane that's being proposed. It's quite complex come to get into it. But <laughs> Can you boil it down for us? <laughs> <laughs> Boils are probably the optimum word. There's been plenty of heat around it, that's for sure. <laughs> the issue, what we were presented with on the Zero Carbon Act when it was enacted in 2019 was that we would go into an emissions trading scheme based at the processor level. So that's the meat processing factories or the dairy processing factories. There'd be a set charge and farmers would have to pay that. And if they did anything different on their farm, it's just basically on the production they put on there. 
So at that point in time, the industry said, we actually think we can work up a much more fairer view and a fairer approach to take. We want to make sure that our trees on our farms and any sequestration of soil carbon actually does show to be accumulating. That's taken into account. And if as a farmer you wish to take these mitigations up and use them and change the emission profile for your farm, you should be rewarded for it. So that's really where this government, well, it's been industry but and government partnership called Hewaka Ekanoa, which is Māori words for we're in the same canoe or we're paddling our uh, canoe, is come from, and this is a scheme that's been provoked and put up, and I can send you the link to Hewaka Ekanoa if you like to have a look at the details of it. But basically it comes down to farmers having an idea of the amount of emissions they have on their farm. So everyone has a calculator, a GHG calculator that actually says this is what your emissions are. You can then count in any mitigations that um, that you may have applied and you'll come back to a net number and you'll pay a fee based on that net number. And the other thing that's happened here is that in the proposal that's being, and it is being consulted for and has not been confirmed, is that methane is priced differently. It's split gas. Methane is separate to nitrous oxide and CO2. And so that's a recognition that it's only lasts in the atmosphere 12 to 20 years. It does a fair amount of warming and no one's walking away from that but it's not the same as counting it in the GWP 100 way of thinking about it in an accounting term. So we're really trying to drive a system that actually gives fairness for farmers to change their behaviour, recognises it's about warming, it's about the atmosphere warming rather than the accounting and giving space for people to actually make a decision about those parts of their farm that may not grow as much grass as it should do and they might put those into native trees and biodiversity and get a reward or get recognised for that. So it's a more comprehensive approach that's been taken than just paying a tax at the process of which is really where it started. In your intro you talked about the fart tax that's really where it was coming from. It was sort of like just basically agriculture is 50% of the emissions so it should pay its way and any of the arguments about methane or the gases or warming, it's just out the, you know, because New Zealand's overall books to the United Nations as a citizen is going to be about what our emissions are. So that's where it's sitting. So it's still being consulted. We should know early in the 23 whether the government received the initial proposal from Hewakekanoa and has been consulting on that, but they came back taking out all the sequestration and the trees section out of it, which really put our sheep and beef farmers under, like the modelling was kind of signalling that 20% of farmers might go to the wall under this after when it comes in. It doesn't kick in till 2025, so we're still a few years out from paying, but it's sitting there as a way of kind of, and there's always the arguments, isn't there, about a price will change behaviour, but we're recognising that our ruminant animals are contributors here and everyone wants to be quite responsible. And I'm sure Canadian farmers and landowners have probably the same stewardship sort of handing something on, not doing something that is wrong for the environment. That runs pretty strongly with most farming people around the world, I reckon. 
Yeah, Mark. So one of the things we face here, like and you're right, Canada's got similar initiatives underway. But one of the things that they raise, and probably rightfully so, is that if we have a charge or some sort of levy against them here for developing those technologies, and I'm sure the same thing's going on in New Zealand, you know, if we have those levies, are we not going to put our industry at a competitive disadvantage versus other regions of the world, which really now we're competing with in those sectors, give them an advantage and our industries a disadvantage. And I know like when we're talking about climate change, it really is going to take a global effort. So ultimately it would be really nice if everybody took the same step, but you know, that's probably not going to happen in the real world. So what kind of feedback have you had from your producers on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we do really feel it. We're a pretty much unsubsidized economy in New Zealand. We went to market forces in the 80s and we've stayed there and I'm not too many have followed. I think it's about a total of two or three percent subsidies sitting in our economy. And most of that's probably research funding from the government. And that's about it. So we don't have any pricing. We pay for food on world prices and things like that. And so, yeah, that is a real big concern. And another cost where we're starting to get lots of environmental things are catching up with us, the cost of imported goods and things like that. So they're pretty tough margins for farmers out there. And so, yeah, there was a real concern about that. And the other factor that always fits in here is we're about 85 90% export. Most of our, we feed, I think the numbers are about 45 million people around the world from the food and goods we send out of this country. Most of those come out of the ruminant industries, but there's other products in there as well. And like, we do want it to be a fair playing field, but we do have to do our bit. So it's a very tricky line. I mean, if you've got subsidised agricultural economies with additives going in and they've got a low GHG product competing, it's going to be hard for us. So we're certainly engaged to be up there and competing as much as we possibly can and putting our food alongside in the house because that's where our income. And I think in the modern world, we probably was uh, people were questioning rural versus urban kind of thing going down. But with COVID, we also have a massive tourism industry. And in actual fact, before COVID, tourism was the number one industry of I think they had to call it an export, but basically for bringing in international funding into New Zealand, it disappeared overnight. And it was the agricultural sector that's kept our books ticking over. And I think the rest of the world, we're all struggling around the world at the moment. But like, you know, so those questions do really rock into, and it comes back down to what's fair. And everyone, I think you're dead right, Tim. I don't think there's a lot of discussion or a lot of debate that we should all be chipping up doing our bit and it's a collective thing right this is many respects our thirst for energy has crept up on us over probably 150 years and now we're paying the price for it aren't we really because that's how we've generated our energy but it's pretty grim we're getting the weather differences we seem to get the more intense storms and all those sorts of things that are rolling around the oceans are a little bit warmer around us down here in the south pacific so i think people are really are kind of much more conscious about it but yeah hopefully we could get everybody on board but it's going to be pretty tough Tim because you know how we'll try yeah Kim you talked about check off check off is a fee we pay for our goods going into markets not you pay we pay so mm-hmm. um, you know it's kind of like <laughs> it's a tough old world out there so just wondering about if you 
implement whatever we want to call it, the burp tax, or that's probably for simplicity. The emissions we'll levy look. is, I think, what it's called, or pricing. It's called it's, it's emissions pricing for, okay. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably keep referring to it as the burp tax. But I agree with you. It's good that they've called it a burp rather than a fart, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we all like a laugh, don't we? So do you think it, like implementing any time additional costs are implemented, do you think this is going to cause a reduction in the demand for milk and meat? Or is it more like a green seal of approval, which will better position New Zealand milk and meat in the global marketplace among environmentally conscious consumers? So what are your thoughts about that? Well, we're pretty proud of what we do these days. And we've just had the dairy the life cycle assessment came out earlier in the year, I think, or late last year, showing we were very much up there in terms of international milk trade about with our the carbon footprint we have and sheep and beef one has just been released here in New Zealand as well and we're certainly at the top end of that pile as well so we produce a very carbon efficient product today and it's very tricky to see whether that becomes a premium product that we get a kind of premium payment or whether it becomes market access and I think it's probably the latter quite quickly it just becomes the norm so the expectation is that we won't be doing damage to the atmosphere in producing our products or our waterways or any other environmental extremities and so you know I think the consumer is certainly king there in driving that yeah, I mean, I think it's just an expectation that we will have to do it. And it may well be going down the path of market access and trade. I'm not sure that a country would stop your sale because you weren't doing something. I think that would be a pretty radical step to take. But I don't know. What's the feeling up there in Canada? Yeah, I think that that's part of the picture, and that's definitely something we continue to be concerned about. But I think that, you know, when you look at Definitely the degree of recognition of climate change has increased dramatically. Like we've had floods, we've had droughts. We just got hit by another hurricane on our eastern coast this year. And, you know, we always have had hurricanes and we've always had droughts and we've always had floods. But it's the severity and the frequency, I think, that's really gaining the attention of people now. The other thing we sort of get asked, well, okay, so I lower my methane emissions by 30 or 40%. Like, how quickly is that going to have an impact on climate change? Like, are we going to see in a few years less severe storms? Or I think the producers want to make a contribution, but they also want to see that their contribution is leading to a positive outcome at the same time. You get asked those kinds of questions as well, Mark? Or Oh, absolutely. Like I said at the beginning, 0.17% of the global emissions and half of that from agriculture. So are we causing global warming? We'd probably argue that on a percentage basis, it's unlikely that we are causing up, we're contributing. But there are two nations in the world we know that have both got over 20% of the total emissions. And so this is where it comes down to, I think, just as you said, Tim, producers do want to do their bit. They do want to do their bit, but they do want an element of fairness. It's a challenging world being a farmer out there in the environment with all the kind of other <laughs> nature throws at you. You're dealing with animals. You're managing a whole lot of complex things. And sort of then to get, in a way, uh, that's been probably the most painful thing for the sector, kind of like everyone has got the throwaway line that why are we having eating meat and milk and, you know, it's, calculation that if you look at it in a 20-year period, methane's 80 times worse than CO2, and you quickly dive into that kind of rhetoric. 
that's been pretty tough on people because it just feels like they're under the pump. And the reality is that our changes in methane emissions won't cool the planet. But if we all do our bit and we carve back and get stop using coal and oil and introduce carbon sources for um, energy and we can crack some of those other things, which is the role for bigger countries than us, maybe we can turn around. You've got to have faith in humanity that we can, but I think we're pushing it pretty hard. So, yeah, no, that sentiment sits quite, quite here as well. But people are optimistic. They can plant trees here and the technologies aren't with us. The only technology we've rolled out is low genetics in sheep, which is a project I'm looking after right now. But we now know we can breed lower methane sheep, and we're now upping the game in the sense of getting that around the nation and getting breeders to have rams that have been methane tested and go for the low methane ram and start to bring that offering to our sheep industry. Cattle's a little bit further behind, but those kinds of technologies, I think if we come through and we've proven that when we've done our bit in the sense of the R&D investor and trying to prove these technologies have got advantages, then our farmers will take those up and they will use them. If they're too expensive and they don't work all the time, they won't. It's kind of reasonably clear cut. Farmers are always adaptive and open minded about how they might deal with some of this stuff. Yeah, I recently read a paper that indicated that if we used all the existing technologies that we have with regard to methane mitigation, that we probably still wouldn't be able to achieve a great enough reduction. So there's methodologies, technologies that we need to bring to the table that we really don't have a feeling in terms of how we're going to bring that or whether they even exist at this point. And, yep. and I mentioned it earlier, like New Zealand, I think is sort of punched above its weight in this research sector. When you look at your population and the number of scientists and the leadership that they have shown in this area of methane mitigation and basically characterize, you know, there was a lot that we didn't know about methane in general, even how it was produced in the room, you know, 20 years ago and advancing those technologies. So I, I think we need to keep that work going or, you know, how are we going to get into those spaces where we need those solutions so that we don't even know exist yet if we're really going to solve this problem? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And that's the whole thing. I mean, we should, well, we do work closely in with other research groups in this space so it's an important fact i mean one of the best things that's happened here in new zealand in the sense of that our farmers now most of them by the end of this year will have a greenhouse gas number for their farm they actually know what their emissions are and there's some of those kind of building block things that have been put in place which yeah it's a bit more admin to figure it all out but like that's going to stand us in good stead because once they start to know about it they've never thought about their farms in that sort of terms before then they will start to look for solutions. And so you know, they will be forthcoming. But we also uh, know it's not going to be a straightforward challenge. So yeah, yeah. It never is. We don't ever talk about straightforward things on this podcast. They're always <laughs> no. complicated, messy things. But Yep. And look, our government's come to the party in the last uh, six to eight months. And our annual investment on mitigation and methane and nitrous oxide kind of space was around about $24 million. That's per annum up till now, and now the government announced a $338 million investment over four years in the follow-on. So we really are getting in behind this because it is a big-ticket item for us, and the industries will sit alongside that, as you know, Tim, having been involved with us a little bit over the years. You know, we're, we work collectively, and it's a challenge for all of us to work with, so I think that's good. But yeah, no, you're right. You can get yourself pretty depressed pretty quick on some of these stuff because it just runs, you know, like, but we don't want to do that. I mean, I think we'll, well get there. 
Maybe we should tell a few more fart jokes or something to kind of lighten <laughs> lighten up the mood a bit. Yeah, it's quite hard, but you know, in our farming sector, and you both have been to New Zealand, but so you know, you're, we've got kind of pretty narrow, sort of not very big flats, not a lot of wheat and grain growing here. We grow grass really well, um, temperate climate, but we have hill country. And in the last three to four years, there's been quite a shift, and there was a bit of government policy that came out encouraging forestry. And there is some of that social issues that are really kicking in where we're getting whole farms that are renowned for great years of production for meat and things going into forestry. And they're just going, and that sort of really is a big concern in the rural sort of sector in the community and the social aspects that, you know, the schools are closing, those sorts of things. So there are some real pressures around for our farming people out there, let alone trying to solve this bloody hard biological yeah. no, challenge. And I, and I, yeah, and I think those challenges are global. There can be regional specificity to it, but you can go pretty well anywhere in the world and you'll see that farmers, whether the density is too high, there's too many animals, too many people in a certain area, or, you know, dealing with what we deal with, some of the weather events that we've had to deal with here. And I think we need to be cognizant as consumers of food that I, I think that was one of the good things about COVID is that it created a whole new awareness of the importance of food when we went into the grocery stores and suddenly all those shelves were bare and the food wasn't just there for us to readily purchase. There was kind of a whole new appreciation for food, agriculture and supply chains, you know, all the way from the farm through to the grocery store. Yeah, that might have been the reason that the forestry went in because we lost a lot of toilet paper in the first part of the COVID lockdown. (laughs) so did we. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we finally worked it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks for being an excellent guest, yeah. and it's good that our recording worked. To, it was Tim that gave us the most problems, not you. Like, Tim's only a block away, and he was having more problems with the connection. Tim, we've heard about the importance of the dairy, beef, and sheep sectors to New Zealand's economy and the nature of the low input systems that are used to produce milk and meat. And we've heard about the need for continued research investment in the sector if these goals are to be met. And that burp tax could be one avenue to fund research that accomplishes possibly transformative change. What are your take home points from what Mark had to say? Well, I think Kim Mark made a lot of good points, and there's definitely some commonalities between the New Zealand and Canadian system in terms, you know, call it a levy or whatever you want to call it, but basically getting investment in research. And I think it's important to emphasize, too, that some of these technologies that we're bringing to bear will lower methane emissions, but at the same time, they have the opportunity to improve the efficiency of production as well, which means less feed, less grass to produce the food that the consumers value so highly. So I think that's a really important component. The other, I would say, is the continued investment in research. As I said, New Zealand's definitely a leader in this space. And part of that is definitely the industry support from the willingness of farmers to invest in these technologies to try to improve their practices. And we have the Beef Cattle Research Council here in Canada, and they have a very similar approach. So I think that those kinds of approaches and initiatives in the long run, they're going to pay off. You know, how quickly are those payoffs going to be obviously observable and that type of thing? Well, you know, time will tell. There's definitely, as Mark pointed out, it's a challenging problem we're dealing with here and the complexities of methane production from the rumen. But definitely, if you don't work towards solutions, you're never going to find any. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you have comments about the podcast or suggestions about future podcasts, please visit our Facebook page, Cows on the Planet. 
We can also be reached by Instagram at cows on the planet or Twitter at planet underscore cows. Our next podcast will be a discussion with Miranda Grant, the Executive Director of Camfax Research Services, and will feature the continued efforts that are being made to improve the sustainability of the Canadian beef industry through the Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef Production. We need to thank our production team. Carter Potts is our audio engineer and theme music developer and is buzzing through the podcasts we have recorded. Uvi Abisakera is working on podcast releases in between his multiple other responsibilities. And Christy Thomas is trying to expand our fan base. Now for some words from our sponsors, which are the Beef Cattle Research Council, Canada Beef, and the University of Lethbridge. Nothing we are talking about represents the views of these organizations. We're just looking for the honest opinions of other scientists, farmers, or experts in any of the areas that we are discussing. Thank you.